Uh, all right, so that was act number one. We are ready to begin act number two. And this is a panel that is all about... Uh, anybody know what day it is today? Here's a hint. Anybody? Hey, very nice. It is actually International Women's Day. So it's kind of fitting that um, on this day and on this night, uh, we have some leading ladies um, who know the Canadian Women's Hockey League very well here to speak with us. And we also have a gentleman here who covered the most recent uh, Clarkson Cup. Uh, so we're going to begin act number two, which is all about the sort of success, the future of the Canadian Women's Hockey League and where it's going and where it's been. So... First up, if any of you follow her on Twitter, you probably haven't heard her accent before, but you're going to hear it tonight, and it's a good one. Please welcome the Director of Communications and Marketing from the Canadian Women's Hockey League, Saskia Stewart. You can pick whichever chair you like, lady. All right. See, she's tiny, but she's got a bark on this one. She's feisty. I'm excited. So welcome, welcome. Clarkson Cup, how much fun did you have? Um, there's a reason I'm still drinking energy drink, <laughs> and it's been three days. Uh, a lot of fun, but a lot of work. A lot of work, I'm sure. All right. Well, it was a major success, so we are going to get into more on the Clarkson Cup momentarily. Uh, but next, I'd like to introduce our next guest, mm -hmm. and he covered the Clarkson Cup for Sportsnet, please welcome to the stage. You may recognize him from his podcast that Puck Talks features very often. Joe Pack is here. Joe, come on up. Thanks, Carly. All right, now who needed more energy drinks during the Clarkson Cup coverage? Sasky or Joe? I'm shocked that you ever need an energy drink. <laughs> Um, no, she did uh, ten times more work, I think, than, than really? all of us. So okay. I was good. I had a, I, I'm a tea person as well. Oh, perfect. All right. See, I knew we were going to get along, Joe. All <laughs> right. So last but certainly not least, I'd like to call to the stage. Uh, she is a U of T graduate. She played hockey there. Uh, she also played for the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Now she spends her time studying concussions. Her resume is a very impressive one. She's very much involved in pediatric care of concussions and research. Please welcome Carolina Urban to the stage. Hi. All right. So welcome, welcome. So Act 2 is officially underway. And I wanted to ask each of you first and foremost, um, the Clarkson Cup was obviously played this weekend, and how many of you watched, saw, read, heard about the Clarkson Cup this weekend? All right. That's good. Excellent. That's what we want. That's what we want, right? Now, here's my question to all of you. What was your take on this weekend's events as far as your expectations? Did it live up to the hype? Were you disappointed? Did you think that there should have been more coverage? Do you think it was well-received? What's your take after having seen it just wrap up this weekend? Let's start with you, Saski. We were, we've been really thrilled with the coverage it's received, particularly with Montreal winning and the amount of coverage that uh, we've had over the last two days in the Montreal market. Uh, they had a press conference today to coincide with International Women's Day that uh, we had a lot of coverage uh, of... The Montreal Canadiens themselves are doing a lot in conjunction with the Canadiens and their Clarkson Cup win. They've got a lot of uh, TV shows they're booked on over the next coming days okay. within the Montreal market. So it's been 
really, really well received within Montreal. Um, we had some great coverage in Ottawa. Uh, we had uh, we haven't got our Sportsnet numbers back yet, mm-hmm. but we've had a great growth this season. So we expect to kind of see the viewership and that continue. We had an incredibly large amount of press come out. So for us, we were really stoked okay. from a from a media perspective with with how it handled. And Joe, what about you? Is this your first Clarkson Cup sort of reporting experience? How did it compare to your expectations going in? Uh, it wasn't my first. I was at uh, the 2014 okay. uh, in Markham when uh, when the Furies uh, upset the uh, the Boston Blades. Um, I mean, first of all, the fact that Sportsnet sent me to Ottawa for this was was a thrill, and it was amazing that they did that. I, I was I've just been a freelancer at, at Sportsnet and, and been bugging them about covering women's hockey. So for them to think of me and send me there uh, was great for me, but great that, that Sportsnet wanted some written coverage as well. Mm-hmm. I would actually have to say that I was uh, a little bit disappointed by the lack of um, media coverage. Maybe I, my expectations were high uh, in terms of the spread of, of the media that were there. Uh, and then, speaking of you know the the press conference today, I mean Carolyn Willette herself calling out French TV, saying that they didn't broadcast the game, whereas in uh, you know in, uh, Sportsnet uh, themselves and on the English side uh, broadcast the final. Hmm. And, and there's Carolyn Willette, the CWHL's all-time leading goal scorer and point getter, uh, calling out in the press conference where they're celebrating the Clarkson Cup win, saying, "Hey, where are you at, French media?" Wow. Uh, so I mean. Look, it's it's a it's a real chicken and the egg story with women's hockey and how mm-hmm. it becomes popular and how it's received. Is is it the broadcasters and the media that come out first? Is it the fans that show interest? Is mm. it the sponsors? Uh, but I was a little I was a little disappointed by the the at least the written media coverage that was there. But the game itself was a thrill, and the fact that Sportsnet had it on TV, the fact that Sportsnet sent somebody to to write about it was. Uh, was fantastic, and I know I had a, uh, a great time telling a few different stories over the course of the weekend. Cool. And Carolina, what about you, as far as expectations go? How did you feel the event measured up? Well, I thought the event was really great, and it was nice to see Montreal come back and win, and uh, there's a lot of great female hockey players there, so, uh, and as well as on Calgary, so I, I think in terms of parity, it was there. Um, right now I coach minor hockey and the one thing that kind of always bothers me is the lack of knowledge amongst even female hockey players out there. You know, they do look up to the players, they, you know, they, they meet Spooner and they're like, oh, I met Spooner, but yet in terms of getting to the games, they're not getting there. And although the one event is great and at the Bell Centre when they had, they had great coverage there, it's just, it needs to... And I'm not sure how to get there. Mm-hmm. And I've encouraged it with the parents and saying, like, look, like y- your daughter plays hockey. You guys need to take them out to these games. And yet they don't. So I'm not sure how to get there, but, you know, just push in all directions. But And Saskia, I mean, you've been on the front lines, I guess, of this battle, if you will, now. For how long? How long have you been with the CWHL? Uh, this is the end of my second season with the CWHL. Okay. So in your time with the organization, how have you tried to solve that problem of eyeballs, of bums in seats? Because the simple answer for, I think, a lot of sports teams is if you win, they will come. Like if you win it, they will come. 
But it seems like there's a bit of a bigger conversation happening with women's hockey. Yeah, I think when you talk about with a lot of sporting teams, when you win, they will come. You're talking about teams that have been around for many, many years Mm -hmm. and have pre-existing fan bases and people know about them and they have media that covers them on a regular basis, whether they're winning or losing. So that knowledge of them is there and the incentivization to go and see them when they are winning is there because people are aware of them. Um, the Canadians are one of our most successful teams who average nearly a 1,000 people a game, some games, uh, depending where they're playing. They put 6,000 people in the Bell Centre to see a regular season game this year, which is the highest number we've ever had for a regular wow. season game. But it's... Well, and they talked about also, uh, Brenda talked about how the Canadians just about had a sellout after... Brenda being our commissioner. That's right. Uh, <laughs> after the Bell Centre game, they, they had just about a, a sellout at every other Lake Canadians game after that one. So they may have created quite a few fans with something like that. Okay. It's we, we as a league put a lot of the, the ticket push and the ticket sales back on teams uh, because we simply don't have the resources internally mm-hmm. when we have... Uh, large events that we are also managing. But things, uh, we do a lot of community work, a lot of work with local girls hockey organisations, and that really makes up the core <laughs> of what we do. We don't have ticket sales people. We do not have uh, a ticket sales person at a league level nor at a team level. Um, we have a community relations person who does relations and special events, and they focus on things like working on getting girls groups out and, and particularly youth hockey organisations. And, and that's really where we push for that kind of bums in seats things. Um, as far as broadcast numbers go, I know, um, I don't know this year's numbers, but I know from uh, the previous season to last season, we had, I think, a 320% increase in broadcast numbers because we simply worked with Sportsnet for better timings. Okay. You know, what time we broadcast mm-hmm. games, what worked with their schedules, what recommendations they could make to us to broadcast, to schedule our games at optimised times for people to, to view. And um, we set a new record this year. We had uh, Toronto play Montreal on February 4th and 136,000 people viewed that game. Um, and so that's comparable to an afternoon NHL game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a good number yeah. for us, but it's getting that to... Right more games and that kind of number. Well, then, Joe, here's my question then, because when the Olympics are on, like, who watched that women's hockey final in Sochi in 2014, right? Like, I'm assuming most of you in this room watched that hockey game. So how come it is a once-every-four-year... Why is that excitement once-every-four-years when it is... The same women on the ice just wearing a different uniform. And I'm completely honest, I'm guilty of this too. Like, I have no problem admitting the fact that it's not the first thing that I go to put on. And I, I, I you know, I don't want to be the pot calling the kettle black here. But why is it then? Do you have any idea why it's that once every four year thing? It's funny, we actually have a reminder stuck in our office that tells us that there's. 1,450 days, and I say this to people all the time, there is 1,450 days between uh, the, pu- the gold medal being handed out in Sochi and the puck dropping in Pyeongchang, and it's on those 1,450 days that we spend our time mm-hmm. convincing people about the league. And so we keep that up there as kind of reminding us what, mm-hmm. what we're doing. 
Well, I think it comes back to that exposure too. And, and as soon as there has been exposure, then the viewings have gone up, the amount of people going to games goes up. But, you know, in comparison to any other team, even in comparison to junior teams at small community centers, there's not as much exposure. So people don't really know about the games. Mm -hmm. And as much as the league is trying to get there, uh, it's going to be those mainstream media companies that need to drive it forward for, for everyone to be able to access these games. Yeah, and just the uh, a couple of playoff games, the Clarkson Cup final itself, uh, maybe one regular season game during the year have been on Sportsnet the last couple of years. Uh, it's just not on TV enough for one thing. Um, and I know, at least in Toronto, uh, for myself as a guy who's grown up in, in the city my whole life, uh, for one thing, the, the Toronto franchise, the Toronto Furies, play at the MasterCard Centre. It's way out in Etobicoke. Um, the games are Saturday nights, Sunday afternoon. Um, those are highly competitive you know, time slots for people in their lives. Uh, there's another team um, in the Toronto area, but it's out in Brampton. Um, the, the, I mean, we all know, uh, you know, when you're talking to a non-hockey fan, you say the, the way to sell the game to someone is to take them to a live game. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, people, whatever group it might be, uh, mothers and their daughters, men, young boys, uh, taking a chance and, and going to some live games to see this up close because you're not going to get a chance to go to uh, Sochi or Vancouver or Turin necessarily and get a seat that close to the ice and watch this caliber of play. The final this year was Calgary-Montreal, which were head and shoulders the best teams in the CWHL. Uh, you had Marie-Philippe Poulin score the, the game-winning goal in the Clarkson Cup final this weekend. I mean, she scored the game-winning goal in the past two uh, Canada wins in the Olympics. If you watch that Sochi game, that was her with the game-winning goal. She scored the game-winning goal this weekend. A lot of the Team USA, Team Canada players are on, this, on those two teams and in this league uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, but access to TV and then access to arenas and, and time slots that are, that are um, viable for, for local fans. So at a time when there seems like there's more TV channels than ever before, um, what do you think it's going to take to get women's hockey on the TV? Besides Cassie Campbell-Pascal banging on Scott Moore's door saying, put our game on, put our game on, put our game on. What is it going to take? Well, first of all, maybe some more Cassie Campbell on, on Hockey Night in Canada <laughs> once in a while. Uh, that would be great. Some more female broadcasters mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves on is whilst we don't necessarily um, have, uh, we Cassie does uh, colour for us mm -hmm. on all of our Sportsnet games, um, but we try really actively on all our streaming to make sure that we have uh, female broadcasters on it. So Calgary has female play-by-play -play and female colour. Most of our teams have female colour commentators. Like, we actively try that part of it as well. But what it takes, I mean, Sportsnet... Sportsnet have been really great to us. Um, they, they and I'm only saying this not because I happen to work for them. There are other sports networks, right, in Canada. Yeah. There are other media networks in North America that you know this is a North American league, right? This isn't just a yeah we're Canada we love hockey, um, but you know there are other networks out there. I think the good thing with something like Sportsnet is we, we, we now have evidence that there is an audience for, mm -hmm. for this kind of thing. 
when you haven't broadcast on this this scale or this this uh, size before, you don't have any evidence that an audience exists, and you're relying on someone's hunch that mm. that that people are going to view this. And now we have numbers we can show and work with these people and, and say, hey, so we've been successful in this way. What can we do to inc increase this coverage? Um, I mean, the other thing is we broadcast on online 32 games a year, nearly half of our uh, half of our schedule. Uh, and so, and I feel like that number is wrong and I should know it better. <laughs> um, if you don't know it. Yeah, if I don't know it, we've got no luck here. Um, but we broadcast free on YouTube most of our games. Uh, a lot of our games, people can watch them. But we, we only have 120 people who, who will tune in to watch them oh, online. Yeah. So it makes it very hard for us to, to justify and to, con to, to figure out all these things sure. if people aren't, aren't tuning in. Engaging. And look, like this is the conversation that we've heard before with women's hockey, right? Like, how do you get it on TV? Uh, how do you get more popular? How do you get the players, played, uh, the players paid? And as a writer, I, I personally you know, can't wait to get beyond that conversation because that's not... Like when you talk about the NHL, you know, there's, man, even just in a day on Twitter, there's just this range of conversations you're having about the game. And I, I can't wait to move beyond these kind of first baby steps of how to grow women's hockey and get to the, the other things that uh, excite hockey fans, like, for example, personalities. And that's mm -hmm. something that I uh, really enjoyed this weekend was getting to know a few of the, the players a little bit more and learning a little bit more about their lives and and once you have that once you have that handle and I know that you know uh, speaking of wide range of topics talking about hockey we have efforts to um, talk about hockey in terms of you know more analytical ways but there's still this this great handle that you can have on the game by knowing personalities and you know for example I talked to a woman named Ia Gavrilova Calgary Inferno, Inferno uh, forward who is a 29-year-old Rookie of the Year nominee, a three-time Olympian. She would have been had they won the first Russian to win the Clarkson Cup. Uh, born in the same hometown as Alex Semen. She idolizes Alex Ovechkin. She, you know, she, I asked her what would it mean if the Capitals won the Stanley Cup finally, she's like, oh my God, I've been waiting 10 years. <laughs> I, watched, I watched Ia at, uh, when we played in the Bell Center. The Predators were in town, I think, that night. Uh, not the Predators. Uh, uh, I was going to say the Predators, but uh, Alex Radulov, who's now, a, uh, now plays in Montreal, she saw him and literally ran down the hallway yelling in Russian, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get his attention. And the irony was that their uh, head coach of the Calgary team had actually played with him in Milwaukee. And he was like, oh, hi. And, and he is like in the background, like full yelling Russian, like trying to get his attention. And the coach being a good coach is like, this is my Russian. Here you go. <laughs> well, Carolyn, you played in the league. You played at a collegiate level. Um, what's it like for you to see um, even that there is a league and that it has been around now for 10 years? Yeah, so, you know, my experience playing was fantastic. I played for the Furies and I also had an opportunity to play for Calgary. And it was neat, the different environments in the cities and the way uh, Calgary was interesting. There's not as much competition, but yet it was a little bit harder to get the people out to games. And again, it was a location-based thing. And then seeing how far the league has come in even the last three years, so I stopped playing then, it is getting there. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit more, but 
when people come to the games, they are impressed and they can't believe how good, how fast, and how physical the games are. And I think, you know, I would encourage everyone to get out there, watch a game or two, and, and bring your buddies and bring your friends because it, you'll have a great time. I guarantee that. You can text me after or <laughs> give me a tweet if, I, if it's not true, but everyone has a great time and usually they go back. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit of prying to get people there, but I hope that one day it's going to be a league where the players get paid, if not paid, at least some kind of uh, financial benefit. Um, I know that a lot of the girls that now play at the Olympic level do have sponsorship packages mm -hmm. and, and they can live off those, which is great to see. So it's, it's a positive thing. It's moving positively. And I had a chance to talk to the commissioner uh, about sort of the state of the league. And, of course, we talked about paying players. Uh, yeah, she had some interesting comments. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I made some possible shade at the... Uh, yeah. the nor um, the uh, National Women's Hockey League mm -hmm. in the uh, in the states who did attempt to uh, pay their players. Uh, <laughs> I don't work for the CWHL, um, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, the she said the plan was to uh, pay the players at the beginning of next season. That being said, if it's not feasible, uh, she it's kind of a roundabout say, a way of saying it. But she said that is still will be the plan because. Once we start paying them, we don't want to stop paying right. them. Once we start paying them, we don't want to take money back from yes. them. Um, but she did also talk about the ways that they do uh, pay players in different ways, whether it's health care. Mm -hmm. uh, they talked about therapy, uh, mental health education, and, uh, and concussion monitoring, mm -hmm. uh, which you can speak to. I don't know if that was uh, uh, a big part of the league uh, when you played. Um, yeah, so there was a little portion of that going on, but I know in the last year the, the league has stepped up and created a partnership with a, a community-based clinic that now they get baseline tested. As soon as you have a concussion, you have care. And so it, it's important to establish those things, and I think the league is leading the way in that. Um, can the league do more to help their players? Perhaps, but that's a, that's a whole conversation about prevention and how hockey is played and I guess we can kind of cover that if we'd like to but uh, so I think um, in terms of concussions it, it's it's moving forward and I think the CWHL is leading the way in that. But then how much more I mean you brought up the physicality of some of these games um, I remember I had tickets to that gold medal women's hockey final when I was in Sochi and then I had to go back and cover bobsleigh and I was I was a little disappointed because it was it was just practice runs in bobsleigh. I felt like I felt like I missed one of the most intense displays of women's hockey at its finest, and it was anything from maybe I, I think it exceeded my expectations on a physical level. So maybe you can give us an idea, Carolina, of what you know how that physical aspect of the game is different for women and how that plays a role in their ability maybe to play the game the same way that men do? Yeah, so it's an interesting topic because when you look at the concussion statistics mm -hmm. and you were to look at boys versus girls in the same sport, women, at, girls and women have higher rates of concussion. And Through across all sports or yeah, hockey specifically? Hockey, soccer, wow. basketball, but hockey really standing out in that and I think the big reason for it and and playing as long as I did is there's no body checking allowed so you put yourself in situations where you might not 
knowing you're going to get hit. So there's times that I would, you know, put my head down because, oh, I'm going to the net hard. If someone hits me now, they're getting a penalty. Hmm. But now that you look at women's hockey, um, what's kind of happened is that those hits are there, but yet the girls haven't adjusted to that. So I think that comes down to how we teach hockey. And I think the female game needs to be open to learning how to take a hit and how to give a hit so that the hits aren't to the head per se or you know when you're going to get hit so you can brace yourself. But well, also... And it, just that it's a collision sport whether there's full contact or yeah. not. Yeah. So the, but then, and I, I don't... Please nobody tweet me and take this the wrong way. But if it was, if that changed, if that checking rule changed, do you think that that would make more people watch? I'm not sure. I, like, because I think the answer is yes. Unfortunately, well, there sure were and a I lot think of some people are a little bit afraid to say it, yeah. in lieu of the fact, and I mean this in the most respectful way yeah. possible, in lieu of the fact that now we know what we know about concussions and now we know what we know about head injuries. And I'm wondering at what point does the conversation become if we want to keep this league sustainable, if we want these women to get paid, do we need to make the game more exciting to watch and how do we do that? Perhaps, but you also, if, if you look at international hockey, mm -hmm. right, the bigger ice, and uh, recently they came out with a uh, stat on concussions, and there's less concussions going on. So maybe, yes, there's more hitting, but what if you open up the ice a little bit more? You have more okay. speed through the neutral zone, but maybe that width allows those players to avoid the hit more. Okay. Like, there's not enough research on that, but in terms of statistics and concussion stats in men's hockey, that's been shown, so. Well, and you know what? I mean, like, in terms of the men's game at the NHL level, we, we're talking all the time now about uh, whether fighting is naturally going to be mm -hmm. leaving the game, uh, whether hitting or some forms of hitting is going to eventually mm -hmm. naturally evolve out of the game. You know, women's hockey world, women's hockey circles, asking the world to say, come and watch our game, uh, it's really entertaining. You can, you can go beyond and say, uh, you want a window into what the NHL might look like one day? Check out women's hockey, because there's no fighting, and there's accidentally on purpose hitting, but there is an open <laughs> ice hitting. And it's a good point, you know, that, that, that women should, uh, playing their sport should, um, should uh, have the tools to protect themselves out on the, uh, on the ice in a collision sport that may not have body checking. But man, that Clarkson Cup game, there was a ton of physicality mm -hmm. in that game. And was it part of the entertainment of the game? I suppose. Uh, but, you know, you, you see someone skating hard. You see someone uh, uh, driving to the net. You see uh, uh, traffic in front of the goalie. I mean, it's, it's, it's entertaining hockey. It, I suppose you could, you could argue about whether hitting makes a game more or less entertaining, but, uh, but I saw it as kind of a, a neat glimpse into what men's hockey might could look like be. in the future. Okay. I kind of, I, I feel like I object to the idea that we should make the women's game slightly more, for lack of a better term, violent for the point of attracting a larger audience. I feel that defeats the purpose of what we as a league or what we as a, as a sport try and do and try and represent. Um, from, a, from a league perspective, we constantly talk about ourselves and our players as being role models for younger mm -hmm. girls. And I think a game that change that, uh, if changing that 
more physicality into it in the form of allowing hitting would be against that. Um, I also think there's something to be said. There is a really incredibly large size disparity between a lot of CWHL players. Mm. I mean, I have players who are five foot one and I have players who are six foot three. And so I feel like that size disparity, if you introduced hitting into the game, would really um, would uh, push a lot of players, particularly smaller defense, defensive people, out of a game and really change the game itself when it may not need to be changed. Mm. Do you want to weigh in there, Carolina? Yeah, I. So actually, James Myrtle, who's here tonight, wrote an article about um, Austin Matthews and and uh, as well as Pavel Datsuk and the amount of hits they those two guys throw versus the amount of times they steal the puck away from players. And they're arguably some of the best players in in the NHL, and yet they don't hit. So I think I think it was up to November. Austin Matthews had two hits, and the amount of takeaways with the puck he had was incredible. Mm. One of the most in the league. So, to me, it's what is the point of hitting? So when you're going into a hit, you could smoke the person, like we see in the NHL a lot of the times, or you could take them out in a way that you're getting the puck off of them. So. I think it also comes down to the grassroots level of how coaches teach their players. Because you see these kids, they'll be going into the corner 100% straight on to hit the player, but they don't get the puck yeah, in the, at the end of yeah. the day, and or they'll miss the player. But if they were to angle them, push them off the puck and get, uh, or push them off the puck and get it, it's gonna be more successful. So I guess I'm trying to phrase it a different way mm -hmm. because, um, I think the physicality is important in the game. It's a big part in the corners and in going to the net hard. But I think that sometimes throwing those big checks doesn't make the game better. It's not necessarily productive. Do, do we even enjoy hitting as much as we used to? You see a big hit and it's like, oh, wow, that's a suspension. <laughs> that's a Nine times out of ten. Like, <laughs> like, whoa, that was amazing. That guy's going to be in the ten. hospital. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, all right. Well, before we let these panelists go, I want to open it up to all of you out here. Do you have any questions for a panelist? Yeah, right here in the front. So you know I'm setting you up for this yeah. <laughs> this is This is my intern asking this question. What, big pouty lips? <laughs> Joe and I have talked about this, and we talked about this in front of s said intern Chelsea here this week. And, um, there is literally no analogy that I hate more than when someone says to me that, si that, that Marie-Philippe Poulain is the Sidney Crosby of the, NA of the CWHL because Sidney Crosby wishes he had done the things that she has done. Mary Philippe Poulain is 25. She is the captain of the Le Canadiens de Montreal. She has two Clarks and Cups. One she won at 16, one she won this week, and she scored the game-winning goal for the Clarks and Cup. She has won the... She's been in the league for three years, one of them at 16, two of the last two years. She's been the MVP twice. She's been the player-voted MVP twice. She has won the scoring title twice. She has also won two Olympic gold medals, both before the age of, I think, 22, and scored the game-winning goal in both of those Olympics. So every time someone says to me that, 
Marie-Philippe Poulain is the Sydney Crosby. I'm like, Marie-Philippe Poulain is the most dominant hockey player of our generation, regardless of gender. You may not be able to play them against each other. I have very little time for people who, who argue with me about, oh, if they played NHL players, because men and women are biologically different and we know how that story and argument goes. But she is one of the most dominant hockey players ever. And if you have the good fortune of meeting her, one of the most absolutely modest people you have ever met. Like, I've been like, you need to come and have a photo taken with your four trophies. She's like, oh, do I, do I really have to? I mean, it's a lot of trophies. I'm like, yeah, you do, because you just won them all. So please come and stand over here. Like. Well, and, and she's playing with her childhood hero. She watched yeah. Carolyn Willette yep. win gold in 2002, and then she grew up and she's now playing on a line with... Carolyn Ouellette, who's 37 and, and uh, was blocking passes and blocking shots in the final shift of the Clarkson mm -hmm. Cup this it's, weekend. It's we, amazing, too, how much we all know or think we know about Sidney Crosby and how much we really don't know. Just that character, that storytelling, it's not really there. And maybe that's a challenge, too, right, for yeah. people in you know our fields, our line of work, that, to ask that question, why don't we know more? How can we know more? We should know more. The, the best thing about Marie Philippe, is, and you said that she idolizes Carolina Letters. We have this photo from the weekend of oh, they man. handed her they handed Marie Philippe the, the cup as the captain. She celebrated and she turned around and she gets down on one knee and presents the cup to <laughs> Caroline Roulette. And there's this photo of her handing it up and the whole team is standing around them watching this happen and Caroline Roulette is is laughing and trying Caroline Roulette is the Ray Bork of the CW. <laughs> like like she's looking awkward and laughing and, and, and Poulin has this big grin as she presents the clock and cup and I, I I think I tweeted it this week and I was like I want someone to look at me in life like like Pooh Poulan and just looking at Cal Caroline Ouellette and that Clarkson cup oh like they call her Pooh by the way oh we call yeah. her Pooh it's the worst she's nickname got an emoji ever. too yeah it's the worst nickname ever but oh, hockey, it, it's all right it's stuck uh, do we got a time for another question anybody else yep you're not an intern too are you okay So currently, the CWHL plays under a modified version of the double IHF rules. Um, there is a few rules that we've borrowed from the NHL, but it's mostly strictly double IHF. Um, I believe in large part that's because a lot of our players play within international programs and we like to keep the rules relatively similar because uh, we view ourselves still as a training ground, or in part as a training ground for these elite players who then go on to represent... I think we've got seven different countries at the moment in the league, um, and so including Mexico, which has a national team. Um, I just heard someone laugh. <laughs> Less a laugh, more of a. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Australian. I'm not going to laugh about anyone else's national team. <laughs> we're terrible, but it's got a kangaroo on the jersey, so we're good. Oh, um, you let out a really good crikey this weekend. Oh, really loud. Uh -oh. Anyway, all right. Do you remember what it was about? Because I don't. <laughs> no, that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, so no, no, yeah. 
That's the short answer, I guess. Answer. No, <laughs> doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, anybody else before we wrap up? All right, so... Uh, oh, sorry, I can't see you. I'm sorry. Well, uh, again, uh, the, the closest I, I got with the league was um, uh, was this past weekend. Uh, unfortunately, don't get a ton of opportunities to uh, to cover the league. Um, I think the fact that again, uh, if if you want to if you want to do some star making and if you want to get to know some personalities in the league, the fact that Marie Philippelin, Carolyn Ouellette, and Anne Sophie Bate of the Montreal Canadiens uh, were first, second, and third in league scoring this year, they play on the same line. They scored 48 goals of uh, 48 of the 91 goals that Montreal scored this year. Uh, this is a superstar Hall of Fame line, and they were and they play in real time, and they and they just played this past weekend. Uh, I mean, I I don't know if the conversation has started around some of these players and their eligibility for the Hockey Hall of Fame, but I think particularly Willette and Poulin uh, could easily be in the Hockey Hall of Fame someday. There's a this was a topic on primetime sports one day, and I, I I could be wrong. If I remember correctly, though, there is currently no female member on that inductee board. No, the induction panel has no female members, which I know because I actually have a list of all of the members and all of the email addresses for them that I could find. And you communicate with them on a regular threat? basis. No, but, but, but here's the thing. Uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal is uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and isn't currently a Hall of Fame member, eligible as a player, and in my opinion, should be. Haley Wickenheiser, if you are going to ever make an exemption for a female hockey player to not be subject to the three year rule, Haley Wickenheiser should be in the Hall of Fame this year without a doubt. Um, she is the Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey, and, and, and that, until that, that title gets taken over by Marie Philippe Poulin in the next probably two years maybe when she wins another gold medal um but no one there's there's we look at the amount that we look at the women that are in the hall of fame and these are amazing women but we look at the fact that i believe it was reggie vachon went in this year after waiting maybe 36 years or something along the lines and i found it very difficult to believe that there wasn't a single female candidate that was more worthy of being in the hall of fame and that had made a greater contribution to the game of hockey than, than this gentleman um, and, and shouldn't have been selected. But uh, briefly to answer the question that came from all the way up the back there, um, I've been with the league for two years and I think every single thing I've ever got to do with the league, every event that we've had, every time I've got to deal with the players, every time we've taken the Clarks and Cup out, has been like a memorable experience. But one awkwardly stands out to me this year. Um, I wore this really ridiculous red suit to our All-Star game this year. <laughs> and I really love Julie Chu. She's one of my favorite hockey players. And if you ever meet her in person, she she is the happiest person you've ever met. Like she she's, think of the happiest person you know and intensified, and that's Julie Chu. So she, you after three red balls. Oh my God, yeah. I'm not, like I thought I was happy and then I met Julie Chu and she's just a whole nother planet. Um, and she walked past me and she was like, I like your suit, Sasky. And that was just the, the highlight of my life right there because I was like, not only does she like my suit, but she knows my name. Just. And Julie Chu, if you don't know, an American, an Olympian, a uh, member of the Lake Canadians who played in the final, and a Coaches coach. Concordia. She was coaching 
Well, she was at a practice 24 hours before the final so she missed the in gala. Montreal, and then she traveled to Ottawa she for the game. She missed the gala, coached Concordia. They unfortunately lost, I believe, to McGill, got in the car, drove from Montreal to Ottawa, and still got there in time for practice, uh, turned up to practice, played the Clarkson Cup the next day, uh, and won. And uh, that's just what she, a lot of these wow. players coach as well, and so it's insane what they do. And Carolyn, is there one thing that, that stands out for you that you want to share before we go? Yeah, like, as you speak about all these things, these women aren't just playing hockey. A lot of them have full-time career jobs, and yet every practice they go to, every game, they're they're 100%. And it's it's not just for them. It's, it's for that one day that their kids and that all the daughters in this room will have an opportunity to play in the CWHL. And I think that's special. These women are sacrificing a lot of time. They could be making more money or they could be traveling. But they've taken their time to, to try to build this league, and I think it's not recognized enough. All right. We're going to leave it at that. Those are the final words so that when the uh, CWHL season begins next year, lots more yeah. bums in seats, right? October. All right, so on that note, please give a warm round of applause for Carolina, for Joe, and for Sasky.